Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema. This month's segment is called The Ordeals of the Grades of AA. And this topic was suggested by Daniel Forster via Facebook. So thank you, Daniel, and I hope uh, that I answer some of the questions you might have had percolating in your brain when you asked for this uh, particular topic. Now, the material we're going to talk about today, as the title would suggest, applies most explicitly to someone on the formal path of AA, actually working the system, formally taking the grades, and so on. But the advice here um, may be useful at any time when we find ourselves challenged by the pitfalls of some aspect of the path, some aspect of our psyche. Um, for example, um, the ordeals in Malkuth that in many ways relate to the physical world and the physical body and our balance in those realms um, may be most pronounced when we're formally a neophyte. Uh, that's when they may be most intense. But certainly, you know, we're never without a physical body. We're never not living in the the physical world and and needing to maintain a certain balance and health in that regard. And so the issues we talk about relevant to neophyte may very well apply to you at any point um, when you're you're dealing with with some physical issues. So that's just one example. But, um, again, primarily we're talking about the the challenges, the pitfalls, the um, some solutions to try to overcome them that are relevant to the progress through the outer order grades, the first order grades of AA. Now, there's a lot of core material that can give us strong hints about what these ordeals are if we simply look at uh, the oaths of the grades and the tasks of the grades. So, one of the ways I'm going to structure this talk is at each grade I'm going to talk a little bit about what those oaths and tasks are. Um, specifically, the the aspects of oaths and tasks that bind us to a particular uh, a particular endeavor. Um, not just doing a particular ritual or memorizing a certain thing, but uh, those parts of the oaths and tasks that bind us to a way of living or a particular path of exploration within ourselves. Whenever we do that, whenever we take a magical oath that uh, you know we, we hold to be sacred, um, some would argue even if we don't hold it to be sacred, uh, it's, it's a binding commitment to the universe, if you will, that we're going to follow through with it. And even if you take a purely psychological point of view about what oaths mean and what magic is, which I'm not, but if, if one did take that point of view, um, you could argue that some part of us will punish us if we don't live up to what we've promised to do. Um, something in our own unconscious will be judge, you know, judgmental of us for uh, our failure. Um, so let's start with probationer and start looking at uh, at this material. Now, every oath describes the great work of the grade. Um, literally, uh, we are promising in each oath to prosecute the great work, and then it explains what the great work is relevant to that stage. In the oath of the probationer, we read that the great work is to obtain a scientific knowledge of the nature and powers of my own being. And in the task of the probationer, we read, uh, he shall perform any tasks that the AA may see fit to lay upon him. Let him be mindful that the word probationer is no idle term but that the brothers will, in many a subtle way, prove him when he knoweth it not. So that's our core 
material um, to go on in terms of some of the, the in terms of the basic nature of the probationer uh, task, and therefore it gives us clues about the ordeals. Ordeals come when we tackle the tasks and uh, present us with an opportunity to grow through them and and do the to actually do the the requisite work. The ordeals are kind of like, uh, in a sense, the 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 signal we get from an injury when we feel the pain there it shows us where to look to do the healing in this case when we feel ourselves rubbing up against uh, an ordeal of some kind um, an obstacle a hurdle challenge etc um, we're forced to take a look at it and that's exactly how we we change that is the change process so let's take a look at the implications of what we just read here in terms of the oath and the task. So what the probationer is doing, you know, it's a year-long probation with a pretty open-ended, uh, a pretty open-ended approach. There's not going to be a lot of direction. The probationer is sampling things, trying things out, as as we've discussed before. Um, but the important difference now for the probationer, as opposed to just a magician who decides to try stuff, is that the probationer has essentially asked the universe to help him or her do this stuff, um, binding himself or herself to this oath. Um, the universe is going to help you walk this path whether your ego likes it or not. So one of the ordeals becomes uh, essentially um, wrestling with the karma of what you've, you've brought on to yourself. And here we have to understand that the term karma is simply the law of cause and effect. You know, Crowley discusses this. There's no moral valence here. It's not good karma, bad karma. It's just the effects of what you've done. Um, so the ordeals of the probationer, having asked for, um, having asked to begin the path, uh, is partly about accepting the consequences of the changes that come about in oneself when when we commit to a change process, when we commit to to a course of work. Um, Self-discipline becomes a huge issue for the probationer because it's so open-ended. One of the ordeals that we first face when, when we're starting an AA is we've got to sit down every day and do the work. We've got to keep a diary. We've got to actually get with the program in order to, to get anywhere at all. And that may sound simple. That may sound like a non-issue compared to some of the more advanced practices of meditation or magic, but those of you who've uh, tried to commit yourself to a path like this without a lot of externally imposed structure uh, know the challenges that can that can be included in that. So the the work of the probationer itself is a confrontation with the rigors of self-discipline. It's a proving um, in the sense of testing and preparing um, the candidate to to be able to execute their great work, to get things aligned in their lives so that the work can progress. And again, this may not be changes. These may not be changes that the ego likes very much. To give a personal example, um, during my probation. Uh, I found myself rather suddenly and unexpectedly having a terrible work experience. Um, I was in Indiana at the time and uh, just uh, really not 
not feeling a good fit with with all the stuff I was doing after getting out of uh, out of grad school, and uh, it felt horrible at the time, but it was partly, largely, that experience that got me out to California that made me decide I needed to do something different. So um, these things can be painful and upsetting at the time, but the whole point of it is to begin to decode how these experiences, positive or negative, as perceived by the ego, are shaping us to be better vessels for the light of the angel, better um, better prepared to execute our own great work. And that applies at every stage, not just probationer, but uh, probationers often get this intensely because it's the first time they're getting it uh, um, at this magnitude. Okay, let's move on to neophyte. Uh, in the oath we read uh, that the neophyte is to obtain control of the nature and powers of my being to observe zeal and service to the probationers under me, and to deny myself utterly on their behalf. It doesn't get much plainer than that. Uh, the neophyte is bound to service uh, by oath. Uh, now, among other things, this is an ego ordeal, because if a neophyte continues to hold on to the idea that the main purpose of progress on the spiritual path is for his or her own personal benefit rather than to be uh, increasingly um, uh, a resource for service to to those who come after, then it causes an awful lot of problems. And the, the further one goes believing that, the greater the intensity of the problems. We see this uh, reach a pinnacle of ugliness uh, at the uh, Adeptus Exemptus grade if if the person becomes the so-called black brethren will continue to cling to magical power and personal individual uh, attainment as if that's the main point. But here at the neophyte level, uh, we're first committing to that understanding of the path. And one of the unique things about um, that in this place, one of the interesting things, is that, of course, the neophyte is working on tasks uh, appropriate to the path of Tav, which is a, a Saturnian path, and um, is sometimes known as the path of service. So um, that relates explicitly to the, the nature of, of the oath as we've been discussing it. Um, now the task of the neophyte says, he shall perform any tasks that his zealotor in the name of the AA and by its authority may see fit to lay upon him. Let him be mindful that the word neophyte is no idle term, but that in many a subtle way the new nature will stir within him when he knoweth it not. Uh, we had a, a similar statement for the probationer about uh, performing tasks uh, that the AA may may uh, lay upon him, and um, I think in both these cases it mostly relates to life itself presenting us with uh, with our own growth process challenges, you know, as we've been discussing. Um, but um, but in the case of the neophyte. Uh, there can be a, truly assigned tasks as well um, from human to human, the, from the superior to the, the student. Um, now, the uh, the wording there about the word neophyte being no idle term and that in many a subtle way the new nature will stir within him, this is a, a clue about the ordeal and the growth process as well. Now, ne the term neophyte is from um, originally from the Greek uh, neophytos, which means newly planted. 
So what do we know about a newly planted seed? Uh, we know that it begins to express its basic nature and its growth patterns. That is, it begins to take on the outward characteristics of the mature plant it is to become. So typically when the neophyte of AA begins this journey, the basic nature of the person, the true will that is, is mostly unconscious and its uh, emergence can be surprising uh, or shocking or even frightening. Uh, it may not have much to do with the way in which we have thought of ourselves. Um, that is, we may not be growing into the person we expected. If we, if we think of ourselves as a plant and we were expecting to be an orange tree, you know, we may find ourselves an oak instead and be very confused by that when we have to wrestle with, with first recognizing it. So an ordeal of the neophyte is to begin to come to terms with their basic nature as it, as it starts to outwardly express itself to feel the stirrings of true will uh, begin to take shape and demand outward expression in a way that is aligned with our, our magical oaths. Our true will expresses itself throughout our lives, whether or not we take any magical oaths, but when we've actually bound ourselves to live by these stirrings of the new nature, as the, as the task says, uh, that's a whole other animal, and uh, that can be pretty intense. We also read that uh, the neophyte shall in every way fortify his body. Well, sure enough, that's what newly planted seeds need also, right? Uh, the proper conditions for growth, perfectly suited to the type of seed in question. So as neophytes, we have to figure out what we need physically, um, but we're also nurturing the true will. We have to figure out what the, the conditions are for that, so we continue to reshape our outer life to to be aligned with our growth process. This may be relationships or jobs or uh, geographic locations or other, you know, more subtle things that we're doing in our lives that, that need to be realigned. Certainly, psychologically, uh, we have to realign our, our inner temperament and uh, the the balancing of the uh, the four powers of the Sphinx that is required of us at this stage um, includes the beginnings of that of that deeper psychological work with each power of the Sphinx being a, a certain you know attribute that that needs to be expressed in balance with the other three uh, now the ordeals of neophyte uh, and beyond are referenced in Crowley's new comment uh, on uh, the book of the law chapter 3 verse 64. Uh, let him come through the first ordeal, and it will be to him as silver. So I want to read to you uh, some bits from that comment as it relates to what we're talking about here. Crowley says, uh, The four ordeals now to be described represent the ascent of the aspirant from the tenth and lowest of these spheres, which refers to the earth, unregenerate and confused, in which the aspirant is born. So that's what we got for, for Neophyte from this comment so far. We know that the neophyte refers to Malkuth and Earth. Um, the ordeal of the Nefesh, so-called, occurs at the neophyte level. Um, we can see this uh, as wrestling with unconscious material, uh, drives and impulses that may distract us from the great work. Um, in some places, Crowley discusses this as a literal temptation off the path by a woman, um, you know, your mileage may vary on, on whether that literally uh, appears to happen to you, but I've I've seen it happen to some, uh, and um, 
yet it's important not to be uh, to, to to be too certain about these sorts of things just from anecdotal evidence as usual. Um, if you look at the the ordeal of the neophyte in relation to the Parsifal story. Um, You'll recall, as a quick aside on this, you'll recall that Parsifal is is um, uh, more or less bewitched by Kundri, who is the vegetative earth, who is the Malkuth, the the final hay of the Tetragrammaton, and um, in doing so, he eventually comes to find the spirit in in the physical world, to find spirit in matter, and the the neophyte must do this. Um, the neophyte must look for spirit in matter, look behind the veil of matter to detect the spirit therein, but also um, know what to do with it, know how to exalt it. And in the Parsifal story, that involves Kundry being taken to the Grail Castle and essentially kind of becoming the Grail herself. But um, we can have ordeals of this sort by failing to find that spirit that interpenetrates all that we are and all that we do in the physical world, or by failing to look for it, or forgetting to look for it, or not being mindful of the task. Um, the astral work that we do in Neophyte, corresponding to the path of Tav, stirs up primal and, and, and intense energies at times, um, working with these symbol systems and uh, the, their vagaries and their... Uh, their uh, deeply entrenched nature uh, you know they're they're tied up with who we are um, uh, at, at deep levels of the psyche and um, that's not a small matter to begin to consciously face those those uh, materials okay let's move on to Zelator now I'm going to read you the rest of that comment um, of Crowley's about this this stage uh, as it applies to to Yasod. Um, so continuing now, he riseth in the first ordeal to the sphere called the foundation, numbered nine, and containing, among other things, those of the generative organs, air, the moon, and silver. Its secret truth is that stability is identical with change. Of this we are reminded by the fact that any multiple of nine has nine for the sum of its digits. The initiate will now perceive that the sum of the motions of his mind is zero, while below their moon-like phases and their air-like divinations, the sex consciousness abides untouched. The true foundation of the temple of his body, the root of the tree of life that grows from earth to heaven. This book is now to him as silver. He sees it pure, white, and shining, the mirror of his own being that this ordeal has purged of its complexes. To reach the sphere he has had to pass through a path of darkness, where the four elements seem to, seem to him to be the universe entire. For how should he know that they are no more than the last of the twenty-two segments of the snake that is twined on the tree? Assailed by gross phantoms of matter, unreal and unintelligible, his ordeal is of terror and darkness. He may pass only by favor of his own silent God, extended and exalted within him by virtue of his conscious act in affronting the ordeal. So that's the end of that quote. Um, let me read you the oath and task portions that are relevant here, and then we'll discuss a bit about the ordeals. The oath includes the phrase that the uh, zealoter needs to obtain control of the foundations of my own being. The foundation, of course, is 
uh, connected with the, the name of the uh, the name of the sphere of Yasod. Uh, then the task says uh, he shall in every way establish per- perfect control of his automatic consciousness. So. Uh, not unexpectedly, all of these are pointing toward the basic nature of Yasod. This is the, the place of sexuality, generativity, the personal unconscious, um, the, the, in one way looking at it, the seed of the nefesh. Uh, uh, other places we can see this connected more with, uh, with Malkuth, but uh, can go either way, really. Um, so what are the ordeals going to be here? Um, when we promise under oath to devote ourselves to perfect control of the automatic consciousness, sure enough, we discover that that consciousness is blowing all over the place. Uh, this is the sphere of air, after all, and um, it's uh, a, an ordeal of uh, attempting to find some sense of stability in that perpetual change that is the mind. Um, he references in that comment uh, being assailed by phantoms of matter and uh, that the ordeal is of terror and darkness. This is this is us grappling with, in a deeper way, with with our own hidden mind, our own hidden self, and trying to harness the forces, the generative forces, the life-giving forces that that are resonant within us. Basically, coming to terms with the reality of Kundalini uh, within us. Um, and, and directing that under will towards the higher aims of our work. Um, Any time that we're dealing with ordeals of uh, uh, that have this kind of uncertainty and identity shaking, you know, anytime we're questioning who we are because we're discovering all sorts of new realms about of who we are, um, there's going to be issues of dependency that pop up. Um, when we feel this unstable, we tend to reach out for those things which we habitually have become accustomed to reach out for, for support, for nurturance, for soothing. So in the zealotor degree, in the zealotor grade, um, it is fairly common for there to be issues of, of dependency relating to uh, interdependence with people, sometimes over-dependence on people, the classic codependent relationships and so on, um, to use a pop psychology term. Um, also, uh, substance dependency. Um, all manner of other things that, for us, uh, are used or abused to try to self-soothe and, and uh, stay connected to who we are, um, often uh, in a futile attempt to do so. <laughs> um, now, the solution to this is to maintain vigilance in our in our conscious and willful persistence in confronting this stuff not to shirk our duty to continue to stare it in the face and explore it even if it's scary to the ego Um, monitoring projections which i've talked about before is uh, an incredibly important part of um learning about these hidden corners of the psyche continuing in psychotherapy if we if we haven't started it already then starting it but but hopefully continuing uh, in order to to have another source of uh, feedback and and guidance in terms of um, our own psychological development dream work is especially useful here at uh, at the zealotor grade 
In other words, all manner of ways of remaining in conscious engagement with the unconscious material. Um, it's perfectly aligned with the theory and practice of depth psychology, as uh, probably obvious, where repression or other avoidance of unconscious material is, in the theory, uh, responsible for illness and imbalance. Uh, if we are imbalanced or unconscious or ignorant and we continue to attempt to, to do magical work, uh, we'll be handicapped by that. So that's Zelotor for you. Let's move on to Practicus. So in the Practicus Oath, we read that the Practicus is to obtain control of the vacillations of his own being. And in the task, we read, uh, he shall in every way establish perfect control of his wit. And of course, uh, Wit here is not meaning a uh, sense of humor in a, in a lim limited way. It's just referring to the intellect overall. Um, and uh, both of these, the, the idea of controlling the vacillations of the being and control of the of the, the wit or intellect uh, relates to the fact that we're in the sphere of hod. This is the sphere of the mind, uh, the, the specifically the, the regular human intellect. And um, just as we've been attempting in the previous grade to master those uh, air-like uh, vagaries of, of the unconscious mind um, in its raw form. Here we're faced with controlling uh, the, more, the more conscious elements of mind um, and uh, fine-tuning those. So a lot of the tasks of practicus are uh, related to essentially the path of Gnana Yoga, where you have a lot of Kabbalah um, and some work with the Nokian, which is uh, highly uh, technical and, and, and requires the mind to uh, to be pretty finely tuned. Uh, the danger here, the, the ordeal, if you will, um, is getting lost in the swamp of intellect, essentially. Uh, now, Thelemites, as you may have noticed, tend to be pretty brainy types, and uh, when you're in a sphere that emphasizes intellectual work, this can be a real hazard. Anytime you're on home turf, some comfortable territory where the task is something that you're very comfortable with and accustomed to doing, there's a tendency to, to like it too much, to stay there, to overemphasize it, to really uh, fail to, to move on and continue to less charted regions. Um, and I've seen lots of Thelemites kind of get bogged down at, at Hode, uh, therefore at, at Practicus, um, in in this kind of a way where they they're just thinking themselves to death and and getting stuck. Um, that's not always uncomfortable, as as I was hinting. It's sometimes just settling into being an armchair uh, magician and really enjoying the hell out of that. But uh, at some point, we got to remember that there's action to be done, action to be taken, and uh, and the fires of devotion. Uh, that we're going to run into at Netsoc and philosophists need to be stoked. Uh, you don't have to look very far to find examples of these kind of armchair magicians uh, who clearly spend more time theorizing, talking, and debating, and arguing than they do practicing. Uh, if you spend 10 minutes in philemic Facebook groups, you will find ample evidence for this assertion. Uh, so, don't get stuck in the swamp. We move on to philosophers. The oath says that we must obtain control of the attractions and repulsions of our being. 
Um, in the past, I've talked a little bit about the way that the the elemental grades can be mapped out to the four Jungian functions, and Netzach I attribute to the feeling function. This is exactly what the feeling function does. It's also known as the valuing function. It says, this is good, I want to get closer to it, or this is bad, I want to get far away from it. It tells us whether we love something or hate something. Do we draw closer to it or push it away? Um, those are the attractions and repulsions of our being, and it, it is through the use of these, through the right use of the feeling function, that we identify those objects that are lovely and beautiful to us and deserving of devotion. And that's how the philosophist um, rounds out the, the picture of the lower spheres, is by, by coming to terms with the, the process of devotion. Now, if we're overzealous in our use of this devotional tool, the feeling function, then we were veering all over the road, emotionally speaking. Um, we're, we have attention deficit of, uh, of loving things. You know, we, we're moving around too much to stay focused on a path of devotion. Um, and in order to really strengthen the muscles of devotion that must occur um, here at Philosophus, you, you've got to be a little more targeted. Now, if if we underuse the feeling function, if we underuse the uh, underexplore and undermaster the um, attractions and repulsions of our being, then we uh, we are also hampered in our ability to aim at any one target. Um, in fact, if we're ignoring the emotional, aspirational, devotional side of ourselves, we're, we've got this incredibly important tool we're not even using to identify targets of devotion. Um, if we can't identify that which we love in a simple day-to-day way, how can we strive toward the Holy Guardian Angel with the necessary fervor and devotion? So, when we swear a magical oath to control the attractions and repulsions of our being, we are um, chaining ourselves to under oath to to uh, master our own ability to love and devote ourselves to things. The task says he shall in every way establish perfect control of his devotion. So sure enough, there it is again. Uh, now, in addition to what I was describing above, the uh, the ordeals of philosophers are often, in one way or another, uh, understandable in terms of being fire-related ordeals. Uh, emotional regulation is a frequent problem. Um, anger, especially. Uh, anger is a fiery thing, and especially for people who haven't done the introspection and probably um, a, a bit of personal therapy before getting to philosophists, they may be surprised, a bit blindsided by residual anger from, especially from childhood issues, issues related to upbringing um, that haven't really been dealt with. Uh, it's probably, I would, I would categorize that as the most common sort of uh, philosophist related ordeal that I've seen. And now, finally, we move on to Dominus Luminous, which is, of course, the last grade before the formal knowledge and conversation uh, working proceeds. Uh, the oath here is to obtain control of the aspirations of my being. 
Um, this follows on the philosopher's attention to devotion. The muscles of devotion have to be strong already from philosophers. That's why we've been working with Libra Astarte and things like that. But now we have to, at Dominus Liminus, we have to use those muscles in continuous aspiration to the HGA. It's the yoga of holding our focus on that one goal. We know how to love things, but we've got to identify that one goal of, of knowledge and conversation and hold that focus there, hold our, our, our whole organism uh, in continuing aspiration to that. The task goes on to say, uh, besides all this, he shall abide upon the threshold. Let him rem remember that the word dominus luminous is no idle term, but that his mastery will often be disputed when he knoweth it not. So dominus luminous means lord of the threshold, and so that's the mastery that's going to be disputed. Um, you'll get pushed around by the forces of life which would tempt you to, uh, to get distracted from that one goal of knowledge and conversation. You promised yourself, you've taken an oath that you're going to remain and in, 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 uh, abide on that threshold of devotion and aspiration. And uh, that's what will get tested. The task goes on to say, he shall in every way establish perfect control of his intuition. Um, remember that we have to hold our focus here, but, but determining where to focus is partly an intuitive task. Uh, intuition is a way of knowing truth that is completely independent of physical sensation. We have to recognize the truth without all the evidence our intellect has become accustomed to having. And the proper development of this truth sense enable us, enables us to listen for that one voice of the HGA and discriminate it from all the others. Um, so, uh, some final thoughts on Dominus Liminus there. So, um, a bit of a longer segment today, just because I wanted to cover this terrain um, more thoroughly, uh, hopefully to make it more meaningful <laughs> and useful. Um, so, if you have any feedback or uh, questions, suggestions for other topics, as always, send them to me uh, at david at uh, livingphilema.com. And livingphilema.com is your source for uh, resources, videos, um, along with the YouTube channel, Living Philema YouTube channel for, uh, for supplementary materials. Um, as you've seen, this uh, very uh, episode came about as a suggestion from someone on Facebook. So um, if you have things you want to hear about, don't hesitate to let me know. Um, and um, keep in mind also that a lot of the material that you hear on these segments has been uh, expanded in book form in the Living Kalima book, which you can find out more about on the website as well. So uh, that's it for today. Thanks very much, as always, for listening. Love is the law. Love under will. <laughs>